I love a show called NCIS. <laughs> and uh, I've probably talked about it every other sermon or so. Uh, <laughs> and so I even got one person to start watching it. Yes. So what's, what's season you on right now? Um, seven. Seven. All right. Ziva. Ziva's, Ziva season. All right. Uh, <laughs> so as we, um, as we gather, I, mean, I, was, I was reminded of an interesting relationship. Uh, of course, if you watch TV shows, every relationship on a TV show is, is reminiscent, is supposed to connect with a certain kind of person. Uh, and so you can really connect with different kinds of characters, different characters. And my son, uh, Jackson, knows this show as Gibbs. Oh, Gibbs, you're watching Gibbs, you know, and his 50 rules. And I have this aspiration sometimes to be Gibbs. But I kind of don't like people to like me. And so, but, so there's a part of me that doesn't want to be like Gibbs. <laughs> but there's another character named Tony Donozo who is very much like me, quotes and, you know, talks in movie quotes, relates everything to, uh, in life to movies and films. Sorry, he calls them films, not movies. And TV shows and, and just cinema overall. And I love this character, and I love that I can connect with him in his desire to, to, to please Gibbs. He's the one that's, you know, the hard, hard-nosed guy that's got all the rules uh, and everything, and he, but he is such a great leader in this show. And their relationship, almost like this father and son type relationship. Um, <coughs> and, and so I'm studying this thing called the Enneagram. If you've heard about the Enneagram, it's kind of trendy right you know, nowadays. And finding each other by the, your Enneagram number. And I'm a seven, which is, you know, if you look at the show, you know, Tony Dinozo is a seven. Um, and Gibbs is very much an eight. Uh, very driven, but he can also plow over people and break relationships just because he's a great leader and great pusher. He's a pusher. And so Tony is, is wanting to please him. So, um, and so kind of associating personality types in, in these TV shows is, and with the things that I'm learning. But it's interesting to see the relationship between Donozo and Gibbs, between this non-father and son, but a father-son relationship, is there because of the brokenness in his own relationship with his real real father, Tony Sr., Donozo. And, and to see the relationship with Gibbs and Tony and Donozo Sr. And basically seeing, you know, Tony, Tony Sr., seeing all the failings of him, himself as a father. Because he was, his father was, was absent, was a terrible father. And so Donozo Sr., you know, Tony's dad, was like, I just got to go out there and make all this money and, and send it back to my son. I'm going to send him to the best boarding school ever and so that he can have a great education. And I know, I'll never forget this line that Gibbs looks at, at Tony Sr. And after he's told him all this stuff, like he's tried to do all these things and he sent a card every, every year. He sent money. He sent affection, whatever. He sent all these things to him, a gift. Kept sending him the gifts and, and giving him money. And, and Gibbs looks at a senior and he says, Tony doesn't want, has never wanted any of those things. He wanted you. And that, if you could round about everything that is, was wrong in their relationship, it boils down to that. Senior was not there for his son. Literally and emotionally. Now some of us in this room might, might associate with that had a good relationship with your father, did not have a good relationship with your father. 
Sometimes he felt like maybe he was being, uh, you know, maybe he was absent altogether, or maybe he felt like he was present, but only pretty much physically present, but not actually emotionally engaged. And at the end of the day, would he, you know, come in and sit down and you'd eat together, eat, you know, dinner together, eat dinner, and then he'd like just go and sit on the couch and watch the news and wouldn't pay attention to you. You know, we, you know, many of us in this room, most of us in this room are parents. But every one of us is a son or daughter of, of, and a, of a mother and a father, whether they were present or not. And the way that we interact with the world always flows out of that identity, flows out of the health or unhealth of that relationship with both of our parents. I mean, sources of all sorts of brokenness, emotional, relational, addictions, distortion, you know, sexual distortions come out of this relationship with one or both of our parents. Their relationship is the kind of relationship that we pursue. Oftentimes our personality types are perpetuated. Father to son, mother to daughter. Father to daughter, mother to son. And so as we, as we look at, at how we exude ourselves, what is it, you know, we're, we're giving, like, like Gibbs told Senior, you know, your son just wanted you. That's all he's ever wanted. And so as we look around our relationships with one another in the church, and we look at the relationship of the church with the, with the un, unbelieving world out there. Perceptions can happen. Relational relationships and assumptions about each other. Like, for instance, you know, followers of Jesus are often seen by, uh, by many you know, out there you know, as others in, in many different ways. You know, it could be looked at as hypocritical, judgmental, um, self-righteous, condemning or condescending. Sometimes we're looked at as unintelligent. I looked at, I posted the ad, you know, a while back in the spring, and also a more recent one, just to get people to know that we're that we exist as a church if they're looking for a church. And I got all sorts of comments of like, you know, one specifically, the most recent one was the I got over my belief in the adult Santa long ago. People associate our faith in God in Jesus with kids' fairy tales. They think that we're still delusioned and unintelligent because we believe that ridiculousness. Now, we believe some weird things, don't we? That a a Jewish man died on a cross and then rose again from the dead. We believe that, you know, uh, gosh, there's so many, many, what do you you pick? Uh, (laughs) That Gideon, you know, put a mat out on the floor to test God and it was dry and the the ground was wet. And then the next day it was wet and, and the whole rest of the ground was dry. Like all these weird things. We believe that God is coming back, that God became a man and became flesh and dwelt among us. And not only does that belief, is that weird to the world, but it's also blasphemy to other religions, that God would dare become flesh. Don't you dare say that to a Muslim, you'll die. Because they, 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 they venerate God so much that they, they say that he would never, ever dare to have become a man. Unintelligent or blasphemous, condescending, this fruit you know, or, or you know, this, the fruit of being nearsighted, forgetting who you truly are, oftentimes is what causes the world to see us this way. Because how many people do you know in the church that are those things? Hypocritical, self, self-righteous, judgmental, condescending, 
to people around them who aren't Christian. Oh, you're one of those little unbelievers, are you? They treat them so terribly. If you've been in the church for any given time, people in the church treat each other, each other terribly. We, we can be the worst people to one another in the church. Or we can be the best people to one another. Which is the second one. You know, we can also be seen as caring, as loving, as nice. You know, oh, those nice Christians. Yeah, they, they, they serve the hot chocolate at the, at the Lights Festival. Or they do this for the community. Oh, yeah, if I ever need some, some extra money for my rent, I can go to this church or this nonprofit organization. I can go to the Salvation Army. They're nice. They're compassionate. They're kind. They're joyful. They're happy all the time. That person, and sometimes this is kind of funny. People can actually not like the Christian because they're so joyful and happy all the time. They're like, oh, that Christian, he's just always smiling. Oh, she's just like always happy and it annoys me. How can anyone be that happy all the time? It's so funny to hear that out of people's mouths. Christians can also be known as knowledgeable, as intelligent. I mean, after all, the MDiv is the largest master's program out there. It's like double a master's of business. You know, many people, many people who have MDivs are not dumb people. <laughs> um, humble. They, they see believers as exuding the fruit of the Spirit. All these things. They, when, they, when Christianity is done well, when church is lived well, when our lives as believers, as followers of Christ is done well, we can be seen as the, the best of people both by outsiders and by us in the church, by each other in the church. You've heard the question as we're coming into to Christmas time here. You know, what do you give the person who has everything? Well, you know, they, they've got everything, and so if I, just, if I give them anything, they just won't appreciate it. They won't like it. They won't love it. Because they're looking for the gift. The question is the, the, you're thinking about a gift. But here, here's a, a new question. What do you give the person who doesn't realize they don't have anything? What do you give someone who they're living their lives and they think that they're filled, they think that they're rich, they think that they're taken care of, they think that they've got all they need, and yet they're broke in every sense of the word? What about a new, another question? What do you give a Christian or a follower of the way who truly has everything? What do you give a brother or sister in Christ that has everything because we have Christ? And if you have Christ, you have everything. You have what you need for life and godliness. He will provide. We don't have to be anxious or worried about anything because Christ will provide. We have everything that we need for this life. And the answer to both of these questions is the same answer that Gibbs gave to Dinozo Sr., Give you. Give you. And give Christ. Because Christ is in you. And so if you're giving yourself to someone, you're truly giving them Christ. Christ to your brother or sister in Christ. Because they're in Christ and you're in Christ. And so when you come together and you give of each other, you're giving Christ because you're giving of one another to each other. Where's, where's an element that we see this? Look, let's look at Acts chapter 3. 
We're going to look at a couple scripture passages that they relate to each other. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and once at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they, were, they recognized they recognized him, that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Uh, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, and then he goes on to, to give a speech, uh, which I'll get to here in a minute. Uh, and then, so this passage is beautiful in so many different ways. One, because of the scripture passage that our brother Mark had, had read earlier. This, this scripture passage foretelling the, the pouring out of the Spirit, the pouring out of, of the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. And I love, I love this thing here. And I'll, and I'll get to this in just a minute. But So this is a, a, a present that, my, that Amber Lynn gave me for my birthday. So it's, it's an incense burner. Uh, that, so they've got little holes in the bottom of them. And it's kind of cool. So you put this over the hole and, um, and, it, and it comes down here and you'll see it here, here in just a minute. I'm going to go out of the way because it, you know, it's really, really sensitive to air movement. <laughs> so you have to find a place where the air is not moving so, so much. But uh, I, I love just the sense of incense and, and finding out in the church, this little side note, little, little rabbit trail. I'm going to come back, I promise. Um, <laughs> that the, the smell of incense, that they, they burn incense in like Greek Orthodox churches and have, you know, in many churches, church traditions, Lutheranism, I think other, other early church traditions, Anglicanism, I think does this as well. They burn incense in the gathering because it represents another sense that we experience God in, the sense of smell. And so the, the smell of incense represents the smell of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you're kind of the presence, you know, the smoke, you know, has this air about it. You know, as you watch the, the incense burning, it, it looks very, really neat and intricate and stuff like that. So it represents the movement of the Holy Spirit. As you see, it's, it's starting to, to flow down. If you can see it kind of starting to flow down and pour over, you know, there and everything. And, and so as, as we think about this pouring out, I'm, I'm reminded of that image from Ezekiel, that foretelling of the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit the pouring out of God's presence through the imagery of a fountain almost, like a river, bubbling up from within the temple and pouring out, but you're just bubbling out and flowing down the steps of the temple through the gates and it even flows down into the, down toward, you know, toward the valley, uh, you know, east, going east, out the east gate and going east and it flows into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is the most 
it's super salty. <laughs> it's so salty, it's 30% salt. So much so that you don't swim in the Dead Sea. One, because if you splash yourself in the eye, you'll die. <laughs> we were there uh, back in 11, 2011, and there was a gentleman that was there and swimming, and he got a little bit in his eye, just a little, like a splash. And he was like on the, on the, on the shores, like dying, like, ah! You know, and so people were like, grabbed their water bottles, and they were dumping water in his eye, trying to flush it out. And if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, you, go, you wander out, you wander out, and you go, bloop, and you just pop up on your, on your back. And you're like, like trying to, and then you bloop on your stomach. There, there's no in between. It takes work to go upright because it's just, you float because there's so much salt and nothing. And I repeat this, nothing can live in it. There's not one single fish in the Dead Sea. It's got so much salt in, in there, like in all the minerals around it that nothing can survive. But the imagery that Mark was talking about earlier that was reading in, in Ezekiel was this living water bubbling up out of the, the temple itself and flowing out the east gate, pouring out and, and making a river, a wide river, cultivating life and, and fish. He's talking about fish and throwing their nets and these fishermen are just like throwing nets and catching them left and right because it's thriving with life. Trees growing on the, on the river banks as it flows. And this is an imagery of this passage here because the very first illustration that it gives is as it's going out the gate, it's ankle deep. Healing, bringing healing to the ankles. What does it say that was, was lame in this man? He said, taking them by the right hand, he raised them up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. This is a fulfillment and an illustration going back to the promise, the prophecy that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years, for over a thousand years, that eventually this, this prophecy of the rivers of living water will flow out. And now we're seeing the fulfillment of that. And what is that life-giving living water? The Holy Spirit. And I can go on for forever. I mean, there's so much that talks about the living waters and the representation of the Holy Spirit in living waters. Living waters is that bubbling up. Like, like Jesus even said in John 7, you know, if anyone believes in me, I will be in, within him like living waters bubbling up to eternal life. Bubbling up and spilling over. He's reminding him, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel 47. And there's also a fulfillment of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, where he says, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. There you are, Sharon. You're in the Bible. Woo-hoo. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaking knees. Stay the cowardly. This is, a song. This is for us, you guys. Everyone listen up to this. Everyone listen to this. Barb, listen to this. Listen to these words. This is America in 21st century, right now, 2020. Speak to us, those who are fear. Be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming upon coronavirus. 
(laughs) Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. He will deliver you. He will heal you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And it goes on to say that so many beautiful things in that passage. But he's showing this illustration that the presence of God and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of these living waters is coming. It's coming to these things. It's coming to us and it is now for us here. We are the presence of the temple bubbling up living water and spilling out into a dry land. Spilling out to a parched, dead, salty land. It's ironic that millennials talk about being salty all the time. Why are you being so salty? And and so it's just this imagery of God is, is, is creating life where there was once death, creating flourishing where there was once nothing except salt and saltiness. And if, we, you know, if you're looking at our culture, there's so much saltiness in our culture. And I love the illustration of, of this, of this uh, incense burner because it's God ignites us. It's like God ignites us in our spirit when he comes alive, you know, makes us alive. He, he resides within us. He ignites us on fire. And within us is the, is that, is the living water. It's that hole, that God-given hole, right? And what is that hole for? Not just for God to fill, but to bubble out and spill out on others around us to pour out on on each other, to pour out on our culture. Now, what does this have to do with generosity and giving? What does this have to do with the gift and the giver? We'll go back to the beginning. Desire, our, our, our appeal for us is to desire the giver not simply the gift. When we think of Christ, we don't just think of the gift of salvation and the gift of the cross and life eternal. What do we think about when we think about the cross? I don't praise a pieces, you know, a couple pieces of wood that I cut from the national forest. What, what, am, I, what am I praising and worshiping and rejoicing in about the cross and my salvation? the one who gave it, the one who gave himself so that you and I could be made new, so that glory could be made new, so that Kirsten could be made new, so that Tess could be made new, so that Rebecca could be made new, so that Cameron could be made new. I could go around the room, everyone in this room, so that we could be made new. We could be made whole. We could be made ignited and spilling out living incense smoke. I'm just kidding. Living water. The Holy Spirit. This man knew that his healing was, you know, came from the Lord. But he also connected with Peter and John. If you remember, as he, as he wrote, as he said these words, while he was holding on to Peter and John, he, was, he, was, he knew that God gave him the gift, but he rejoiced with the one who God used to give it to him and was connected then and started following God by following Peter and John. 
And so God connects to people through human interaction. I think this is a powerful illustration of that. Healing and rest- restoration. He clung to them. And so we, we love the giver. As we, as we think about loving the giver, we love the giver. And when we love the giver through the gift, that's gratitude. When we love the person, yes, we may, we may love the giver. We're like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing gift. But when it causes us to love the giver more, that's when true gratitude is stirred within us. And on the flip side, loving the receiver, when we give something to someone and we love someone through the gift, that is generosity. That's true generosity. Because what is the breakdown if you don't love the giver when they give you something? You know, it becomes obligation. This fosters this, you know, when it doesn't happen, it's almost like there's resentment. Almost like an entitlement. Like, I deserve this. Why aren't you giving it to me? I want the thing, not you. Which, if you look at Denozo and Gibbs, or Denozo and, you know, Senior, Denozo Senior, he just started to expect the gifts, but he didn't ever expect his father. After a while, he didn't want his father. He got a phone call from Senior, and he's like, hey, I'm coming to visit, and it would like throw him, throw Tony into a, a loop the whole day. He's like, oh gosh, what now? What in the world? It wasn't the, hey, my dad's calling. Oh, awesome. Hey, dad, what's up? It's, it's amazing how telling a relation, your relationship is with someone by how you answer the phone or how, how you feel when you see their, phone, their name on your phone. Is it, oh, crap. Or, now what? it also depends on what time of night too like oh gee is something wrong or is it an excitement yes they're calling me oh fun they're facetime calling me or oh no i just got out of the shower no how do you answer the phone when someone is calling and a distortion of 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 loving of not loving the receiver through the through the gift and you're just like wanting to give and give and give it's like this um it's like this, this obligatory deal of like, you know, strings attached to things. If you know, I know many people who are like this. They give gifts with strings attached. They give to obligate you to them. To basically kind of own you. Look how generous I'm being to you. Okay, now, here it comes. I give you this generous gift. Oh, but here's, here's, the, here's the string. Here's the... But on the flip side, remember, the other side, there can be this entitlement, this, this reciprocity. Like if you don't, if you, you're giving out of this pride, this, you give in order to receive. It's almost like you give something and you expect in return this reciprocity type thing. That's not true generosity. Pretension, like the Pharisees as they were, they were praying with loud words and, and stuff in public, just going on and on and on. Imagine, if you will, with me, um, this happening in front of our doors, like in the temple, this guy getting healed. There's a, there's a guy, just, we, we come on a Sunday morning, and he's just like hanging out, you know, on the street. But we've, we, rec- we recognize him because we've seen, we've seen the guy, you know, going around the, the streets in a wheelchair, or like, you know, in the, or Josh, you know, you, you know, someone in a wheelchair, and you've seen them for years, 
and all of a sudden you, sh- you see them, and they show up at church, and you walk in and you just see their chair. You're like, wait, wait, I know that chair. Hold, hold, hold up. Because like before he got here, Cordell walked up and he was inspecting the building. He's like, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up out of the chair. And the dude's like, whoa! Like comes in here we're like, he's like, dan- he's like the only one dancing in here. You know, and we're like, what's going on here? Yeah. And Josh's like, oh my gosh, I know that guy. I, I know that guy. I know him. You know, Elf is coming up. I know him. How would, it, how would that change us? You know, having the testimony of, no, no, I, I, I've been caring for that person for years. They're, they're definitely handicapped, or were. And this is amazing. How would it change us? How would it inspire us? How would it change the way that we worshipped God on a Sunday morning? How would it change the way that we prayed? Would it would, it be, you know, would being given power by God to give love invigorate and revitalize and embolden our faith? We give freely because God is freely given to us, as it said. Um, and the love of God is what inspires us to share the power of God with others because the power of God reveals the love of God. This is the root purpose of God's miracles. This is the whole purpose of Jesus' miracles, signs and wonders. This is the whole reason why signs and wonders were given to the church, were for us to experience the love of God by experiencing the power of God. We encounter the power of God when we first love with the love of God and refuse to live within the status quo of the way of the world around us. And actually, instead, be, and we choose to be followers of the way of Christ. We don't take our cues of the way from the world. We take our cues from, of the way from Christ. Do we truly understand how very dependent we are on God's love? Not just knowledge. And understand our need to seek and experience his kingdom. This kingdom power so as to continue to see it and experience it today? Think about God's power in your life, in the life of our church. Like in this story, this is Jesus healing this man through us, through believers, through saints, through the apostles, through the church. Do we understand how very dependent we are? Because when we understand the true nature of gratitude and thanksgiving, like we're, ta- we're talking about know, Thanksgiving coming up this week, the, th- the kind of Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving season, when we understand the true nature of thanksgiving and gratitude for what Christ has done for us on the cross, who is death, burial, and resurrection, we, fully, we will fully experience the invigorating touch of God's Spirit. And experience that, that touch of God's spirit with his explosive power dwelling within us. And when we understand the true nature of generosity, the living waters, like the illustration here, the living, the living is incense, the living waters 
of God's explosive power, these things will flood out of our spirits, bubbling up and pouring out to eternal life to those around us. Bubbling up, causing them to jump up and leap and praise God. Thus transforming their very identity from lame and begging slaves to healed and restored children and heirs of the kingdom of God. That's the power to change our very identity. Because God did it for us. And God can and will and wants to do it for others through you, through us, not just through me. I'm not the evangelical professional. My job is to equip us for our work of ministry. Every member of the church is a minister. You are a member and you are a minister. You are a minister of reconciliation. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have all, each, through our lives, through every relationship that we have, have been given, have been entrusted. We all are ambassadors given that call to do ministry. And that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. To proclaim Jesus and his cross. I came and I just presented Christ and him crucified. That is our call. Every single one of us. You're wondering, oh, am I called to ministry? Yes, every single one of you. Every single one of us is called to ministry. Maybe not this one. Standing up in front of people. Oh, that'd be fun. Hey, Carrie, you're next next week. You're going to come and preach next week. No. (laughs) But you have all, we have all been given a ministry to fulfill. And that ministry is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And it could be through words. It could be by like you're walking by someone and like touching them and they're like, boop, get up and start walking. A, you know, they may be able to walk and they were like, why are you touching me? You know, or they were in a wheelchair. How awesome would that be? I would, I'd just pray like just God's blessing and power over you. Like every time you touch one of your people, like boop, they're healed and they're up. Like that would be cool, right? It'd be amazing to watch God do that. And they're like, what's going on? Randy's like, uh, you got to stop doing this. You're putting us out of business. <laughs> a vision I have of shift, you know, I have a vision of shift church, uh, us, the, the people, being a source of living water pouring out into the streets of Belgrade. Not like necessarily, necessarily this building. I had a vision of like the building, you know, like this, mar- this carpet right here, all of a sudden, like, bloop, bloop, like water starting to come up out of it and like flood out the doors and like start, you know, flooding east. But then it was just like this. I think God is calling us to be those streams of living water wherever we go, bubbling out eternal life onto, onto others. How? How, how does he, how, how does he, I mean, Belgrade is a, r- a riverbed, right? So it kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, but how, do, how does he want to do this? Well, there's a, there was a Facebook post I, I had this week, and I want to wrap up with, with these final thoughts here. Um, so I'm friends with, with a guy named Nate, and uh, he posted this as a, as a way of sparking conversation. I thought it was neat, a neat question, neat, neat post. He said, relationship building happens in the middle of real life. So the conversations that feel like a hindrance to me, like, can you help me with this, quote unquote, you know, parentheses, fill in, fill in the, the blank mundane project are actually the places relationship can grow. If I am kind, slow, 
and intentional in my approach to the conversation, rather than focusing more on the task than on the person, it's an opportunity to demonstrate care. So instead of rushing through the everyday situations to get to the place where I think relationship will happen, I'm challenged to see those ordinary things as places to honor the people around me. What do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I posted, yeah, I'm with you. you know, even, in, even if it's not a deep, personal, or meaningful, uh, seemingly meaningful conversation, it could be the little things, even involved in the project that you learn about the person or that they learn about you in the midst of the conversation, a memory or a story or something that could turn into something more meaningful. But yeah, like we say in our, our family values, engage the process. Give yourself, not necessarily your stuff. People want you. Now that may come with provisions, money, possessions, etc., but let it be you they receive and not just the things. They need to experience you through the things. This could look simple. How do we do this on a daily basis? It could be simple. Holding a door open for someone. It could be waving or smiling at some at someone. And I'm reminded that when we first got here, there was someone at Taco Bell that every time they were like the smiliest person ever and it made me want to go to Taco Bell even more just to drive through to see this person because they were the smiliest, happiest person I'd ever seen at Taco Bell. And she's right there. <laughs> that was Sienna. Like I was like, I know you from somewhere <laughs> when I first met her. And she was that lady. You know, through that, I, you know, before I even got to know Sienna, was touched by the love of Christ flowing out of her, bubbling out of her. And I was encouraged as a brother in Christ. And I felt, I was like, she's probably a sister. She probably loves Jesus. It could mean all the difference. Have you ever been talking about it? You know, the Montana wave. Anyone know the Montana wave? That's it. Montana, you need to learn this, guys. If you're ever on a dirt road, Or maybe sometimes the two finger. Greeting one another. Seeing one another. Sometimes I was I was going out I went out hunting this week with Bryce, my buddy Bryce, the first Baptist pastor, and he was, we were, ta- we were going on a dirt road because we're out hunting on alpha dirt roads. And we were t- he was talking telling me about a story about a person who the, who wouldn't, you know, the dirt road etiquette. They would not wave. Anytime, you know, every time they saw this one person. And that person who would not wave got a flat tire. And the person that was angered that they never waved didn't stop. Consequences, right? <laughs> but it's just you engage with people and they want to engage, engage with you. Being kind, waving, smiling could mean all the difference. Could mean all the difference for the person that day. Now, those are simple things. What about the, as we call them, the, in, our, in our vision, in our, in our values, Courage with humility. What are the courage with humility things? That takes, all right, I, I, you know, this may be, be difficult. It may be the, the hard thing, but I got to do the hard thing. Maybe for you, it's inviting others along with you to do uh, the things that you are capable of doing. I mean, all, all of us, you know, the, the mentality around Montana is I can do it myself. Of course, we can all do many things by ourselves. But what are the things that you could do by yourselves, but could also be an opportunity, like the Facebook post, to grow relationships small? Or 
get closer by inviting someone to do it with you. Fixing your car. It's, it amazes me how many people don't know how to change their oil. It amazes me how you know, car insurance commercials show a teenage boy on the side of the road at two in the morning saying, how do I change a tire? Can you send someone to change my tire? But the insurance office is closed because it's the bad one. But I'm like, how? Really? So the, you know, that, that could be a great, you know, we were talking about in our men's group, like a great way to like, for us, us men, like for, you know, to reach out to younger, immature boys or, or anyone in the church, really, to teach us, you teach each other how to change our oil, how to fix, you know, change a tire, how to do other things. I mean, we change a water pump so you don't have to pay $1,500 at the, at the, at the bugger garage. What about going for a walk? These things that you could do by yourself. Invite someone along. Cooking, baking cookies. Daily planning. Now, my, my wife and, and Noel uh, have been getting together because they, they, they bought these daily planners with daily, you know, weekly meal prep and, and stuff together and, you know, because they, they're in similar, very similar life situations and so they want to plan their lives together, but they're doing it together. They could do it by themselves, but it helps because there's accountability, there's encouragement, there's all these things that make it better together with other people. Coffee. Go out for coffee together. Hunting. Go hunting together. Unless it's the guy that just will not shut his mouth. <laughs> What's that? Go to the senior center. Go to the senior center. Be with people. Go, you know, when it snows, come and do the, the snow shoveling. This might be a, 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 a shameless ploy for people to come and, and plow our, <laughs> come and shovel our sidewalks. <laughs> come and do it together. Call each other up. Like, hey, Mark and Steve, come and let's plow and shovel and gravel. Invite each other for dinner. It could be just like the, hey, come over for dinner. Hey, let's go cut down Christmas trees together. And you know, spending Thanksgiving with someone outside your family. You're sharing your family traditions, inviting other people to share in your traditions with you because they're special to you and your family because that brings you closer together. Talking to others, this is the hard, another hard thing, talking to others, you know, friends, family, people at work, could be customers, clients, fellow co-workers, etc. Sharing your faith with them. Talk about your faith. Because Christ, you know, talk about that which is truly valuable to you. And if Christ is truly valuable to you, you will talk about it. Um, can you be a peaceful presence at Thanksgiving dinner? Can you be a catalyst for shalom and not just your political views? Thanksgiving dinner. You know, not trying to convince your you know, people of your faith and like you know, bash people over over the over the head with the Bible. They're like you need to come to faith in Jesus. You know, not being the things that we talked about earlier, being the hypocritical, judgmental, condescending people that the world knows us to be in some instances. You know, not like shoving it down their throat, but to soak the room maybe in prayer. Maybe know someone is completely turned off to, to faith conversations. And so God, you're, you're there praying at dinner. You're like, God, provide an opportunity. Provide an opportunity. Help them to ask a question about my church, about my faith, about my relationship with God. Like begging God to provide an opportunity, seeking an opportunity to love them through Christ. 
if given the opportunity to give a defense for the hope that is within you, as the Bible talks about. And not trying to you know, convince people or bash people over the head with the difference of political opinions, but always showing them the kingdom of God through you. Give you. Give your true self to others, not just simply your stuff. We need to truly experience one another. Give Christ, because people need to experience those who have experienced Christ, so that they may too experience Christ and become like us, freed, made alive, joyful, smiling, happy, become the person that's way too happy. They can turn, the, you, you know who they are, Mr. Grumpy Gills, in your life. Everyone has one. That person who's just bitter, and gr- or that man or that woman that's just bitter and angry all the time, or arrogant, a jerk, difficult to work with, difficult to coach with, difficult to just be around. God can change them and transform their lives. And they may have a beautiful smile that no one has ever seen yet because Christ is not yet in them. They're, at, they're missing that, that last ingredient of the Holy Spirit, Christ, and life, true life. And receive each other. Receive others, not just simply their stuff, but desire the person through the gift as we get into Christmas season. Receive Christ and his love and his power from others. That it was what brings true generosity and giving. And that is what stirs up true generosity and thanksgiving. Give you. Give Christ in you. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. And we thank you for the life that you've given us. And we pray that you would stir us up to love and good works. You would stir us up to be truly generous people. That you would stir us up to be truly grateful people. That we would give ourselves to each other and that we would engage with one another to help one another. To seek the person and to give ourselves authentically. We pray, God, for your presence as you work in and through us, Lord, on a daily basis. And God, I pray a special blessing over this week of Thanksgiving as we, as many of us are celebrating being thankful for all that we have. Let us be truly thankful, Lord, for all that you have given us and all that you will continue to give us. Help us to be that, that, presence for, that peaceful presence, that, that catalyst for shalom as we engage with, with our friends and family, as brothers and sisters in Christ or those who don't know you, Lord Jesus, or who may disagree with us politically disagree with us in different areas. God, that we would be that peace-giving presence at at these different uh, gatherings as we go. And Lord, bubble up within us and out of us that living water to pour out your spirit, to pour out your joy, to pour out your love, to pour out your peace and hope on those around us in our lives. Let's shift church, God. Use us to be the, the, 
the living waters bubbling out and cultivating life, a, a, a river of life flowing out into our city, flowing out into this entire area. The people would see that this place, but more specifically this people, us as your people at Shift Church here, God, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that there is something different and beautiful here because they're experiencing you through us. Pour out your spirit, God. Pour out your power. Stir within us your power to show others in our, in our lives the love of God. Your love, O oh Lord, our God. Because you are blessed to do so. So Lord, we want to be a blessing as you bless us and as you bless others. Help us, Lord, to bless each other and those around us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.